You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Justice is Served here on Black Hollywood Live, where we bring you the latest and trending legal news on a weekly basis. My name is Sarah Azari. I'm a criminal defense attorney and one of your co-hosts here, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Chelsea Galicia, who's also an attorney. Chelsea, hi. How are you? Hi. All right. So we've got a big show with um, a lot of developments this past week. We would like you to stay tuned, though, throughout the duration of this show, as we're going to cover the horrible, horrible massacre at the AME Church, um, the iconic AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We're also going to be talking about the biggest Medicare fraud bust to the tune of $712 million by the Department of Justice. Moving on to um, the fight against revenge porn and now Google's involvement in um, allowing victims to remove their um, naked photos from, from the Google website or the database, as well as ending the show with the big news yesterday um, um, a couple days ago, actually, of Sean P. Diddy Combs being arrested at UCLA for assault with a deadly weapon and terrorist threats. So please stay with us as we uh, move through the show. And I'm going to ask Chelsea to make an announcement that we have for all our viewers. All right. So before we get started, we want to ask you again to participate in a survey, podcast1.com. We've asked you over the last few weeks, and thank you for those of you who have um, responded to the survey uh, and have let us know what you think. And we're asking for the rest of you who have not yet participated to please go to podcast1.com to give us the feedback about what you think about this show. It's an- another chance to interact with us, and we really appreciate all your feedback, and this helps us bring you uh, an better shows. Uh, so please go ahead, go podcast1.com. It'll really only take you about three minutes to let us know what you think. And we would appreciate it. Oh, so much. And I guess now we will case of the week, go to the case of the week. This is just tragic. Of course, we needed to cover the, um, Charleston shooting where Dylan Roof, a 21 year old white supremacist walked in to the, uh, Emmanuel AME church, uh, sat with a group, uh, in a Bible study for about an hour, uh, who was apparently so kind to him that he was almost about to abort his mission because he couldn't go through with it because they were so nice to him. But ultimately about an hour in, he, uh, stood up and shouted to the victims that he was there to shoot black people and began to, uh, kill them. He, when reloading, um, said that um, about black people that you rape our women, you are taking over our country and you must be stopped. And he wanted to start a race war. Uh, he um, then uh, got away and was arrested about 250 miles north uh, the next day in, uh, in a, an arrest that went down without incident at all, which was pretty remarkable uh, to me, given the way that we've seen some pretty um, ruthless arrests by uh, some people who've committed not so heinous acts. Um, and he has been charged with nine counts of murder and one count of possession of a firearm during the commission of a violent crime. 
for which he faces the death penalty. And that's at least in the state uh, of South Carolina. Sarah, what does he face, if anything, federally? Well, uh, you know, it brings me to, I mean, your question begs the question of, of hate crimes in general. Um, in California, a hate crime is not an actual um, underlying offense, but rather it is an enhancement that attaches to an underlying offense. So, for instance, if Dylan Roof was in California, he would be charged with the murder of these nine people, plus the enhancement of it being a hate crime. And what it, what usually most states require is that there be an animus against a protected group of people, for instance, race, religion, ethnicity, sex, sexual orientation, um, and um, I believe there's one more. Um, religion, did I say? Religion and religion. And so if you're part of these protected groups and there is evidence that uh, you targeted this, this, uh, the, the victims, based on any of those categories, then you're absolutely going to be convicted um, of the hate crime, whether it's an underlying offense or an enhancement like it is in California. Um, in this case, um, I think Dylan is is dealing, um, my understanding is that South Carolina does not have a hate crime statute. Right. Is that they're, right? They're one of only five states in the country that don't have one. How, why am I not surprised, right? But, um, but, the, the the federal there, there's also the issue of the the feds having jurisdiction over this incident um, under federal law there is um, there it's sufficient that race or one of these protected um, uh, groups be the primary motive of the perpetrator. And I think here, the primary motive of Dylan Roof is extremely clear. Like you said, he made a statement um, when he was arrested that he wanted to start a race war. He said several things, racial epithets and slurs, at the time of the shooting inside the church. He had a website called thelastrhodesian.com in which he had a manifesto and various photographs with um, extremely racist, uh, you know, uh, T-shirts and the Confederate flag and symbols of, of racism. He was inspired by a man named Earl Holt, who was uh, uh, is part of a group who's a renowned... president of the Council of Conservative Citizens. And renowned for being white supremacist. And... Um, so there's a lot. I mean, this is a textbook hate crime. It is not going to be difficult for any prosecutional body to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Dylan Roof's motive was primarily and solely race-based. So, you know, in, in, um, if the feds are going to prosecute him, it hasn't been made clear. Loretta Lynch, our attorney general, said that they're definitely going to look into the evidence of motive here. Um, I think uh, I, I'm, you know... I would I would be very surprised if the feds don't find motive. Um, there is a, um, a a federal law that was enacted. It's called the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Crime Act. Matthew Shepard, if if some of our viewers remember, was the young gay man who was uh, beaten to death, and um, Mr. Byrd, James Byrd, was a black man who was executed lynch style. And so this passed into law, and the feds absolutely um, take it seriously. I in fact had a client who was uh, a few years back um, prosecuted in Las Vegas. Um, um, uh, allegedly for being part of a white supremacist group and committing a hate crime on a couple of black individuals in the Nevada area. Um, and I know that the feds will not let this type of thing go, especially as high profile as this. And one of the things that you asked me, Chelsea, was whether, given that South Carolina is going to uh, prosecute him, 
are the feds actually going to do this? And normally, can they? Yes. Um, normally, you know, both jurisdictions don't go after the same set of facts, the same same offense. However, in this case, this is so outrageous. This is so uh, high profile, and it, it has it has shooken the country. It, it you know, this guy went into the most, the oldest um, African Methodist church in the country, the most iconic one, and targeted these innocent people and killed nine of them from the ages of 24 to 87. And it's so heinous and evil that I would be surprised that this, in this instance, uh, that the feds were just going to, are just going to say, okay, we'll let South Carolina deal deal with this and we're going to step and off. There is this, uh, uh, this debate about whether this should be called terrorism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's there are some people saying, well, no, he wasn't associated with a, a political organization mm-hmm. uh, or a religious, you know, extremist group. Mm-hmm. And so it's not terrorism, although that is not the definition of terrorism. If you look at the definition of terrorism, it most certainly fits it. So does will that make any difference, you think, in the prosecution of him federally? I think if they call it I terrorist think, act. Uh, you know, I think you 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 nailed it in that, you know, it is an act of domestic terrorism, just much like uh um Zokar Zarniev and his brother, you know, what they did with the Boston bombing. Okay, yes, they were religiously motivated. Here, Dylan Roof is clearly racially motivated. Either way, it's an act of terrorism. Terrorism does not mean that, you know, Al Qaeda needs to fly over and and you know bomb the uh um trade center yeah. in New York. So it is absolutely an act of terror, domestic terrorism. And I, I don't think the prosecutors are going to go forward on both theories. I think that the hate crime is far more uh, egregious and a big deal than, than the act of, I mean, I don't want to minimize the domestic terrorism, but I think that if the, the hate crime would have failed for some reason, for lack of primary motive, yeah. then they would have a default position, right. which would be terrorism. So now we're looking at, well, how do we prevent this from ever happening again? Is this a gun control issue? Is this a mental illness uh, issue? You know, on the gun control front, he allegedly purchased the gun, the murder weapon, Legally, even though he has a somewhat a minor criminal history, he mm-hmm. was arrested for having the uh, narcotic Suboxone, which is used to treat opiate addictions, and he admitted he didn't have a prescription for it. And I, you know, I'm a little bit confused because I've seen that 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 charge was felony drug possession, and if he'd been charged with a felony, he couldn't while being prosecuted for a felony, be able to get a gun. Apparently, that must have been knocked down to a misdemeanor because uh, there was no felony on his record. And so they're saying that the, the gun was acquired legally. So is that w- where the, the, the problem is? Is it also, I'm not, I have not heard um, a defense that he was known to be mentally ill, but it just seems logically that he would had to have been. Uh, so... Where, where where can we go in the the debate about how to prevent this from a legal standpoint? So you're you're just talking about three different things that are all equally interesting, and I think that our viewers should should at least hear our perspective on all of them. Let's start with the mental illness issue. Um, I think you know if if hate is a mental illness, then I guess Dylan Roof is mentally ill. Okay, I think um, it's outrageous that as soon as a little white kid with 
clear issues and, um, you know, a, a, a racist kid um, commits a crime, we jump to the conclusion and say he's mentally ill. I think it's a stigma for the mentally ill to make make it look like mentally ill people are dangerous. Excuse me, but a mentally ill person with no gun is far safer than a sane person with a gun. So going into the gun control... Um, President Obama issued a statement about this, um, about this tragedy and said, the problem we have is that we have such easy access to guns. We, we don't filter people who go in and buy guns and even register for guns properly. So many different countries have mentally ill people. Well, everybody says in this country, we have the second amendment. And I think that there is a massive misunderstanding about what the second amendment says. It's a very short amendment and everybody just paraphrases it to the right to bear arms. But there's a very important few couple of words at the very beginning of it that says, for a well-regulated militia, right. there's a right to bear arms. Right. And people have just ignored the first half of it because it inconveniences their ability to get a gun immediately without any questions asked. Right. So... So I think that's so a huge. I think that's a huge problem um, for us. Uh, you know, it's it's issued. Uh, you know, the the gun laws are by state by state, and the the what you brought up about the felony. You know, in California, the gun laws are very strict. So even if you have if you've suffered a felony conviction. Even fast forward, you you uh, reduce it to a misdemeanor later. You expunge it. Even that the the prohibition against owning a gun because you have a felony does not go away. So you might you now be able to get a job. You might now be able to vote. Whatever whatever the real rights are to, that are restored, but you are not going to be able to own a gun. Um, uh, I don't you know South Carolina it, 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 hate crimes. It's kind of an interesting state. Hate crimes are not crimes. Uh, so perhaps their gun laws are even looser than some other states. And also on the note of who's responsible for Dylan Roof and this this heinous conduct um, that, that, that has led to this tragedy. You know, you look at him, he's 21 years old. It, you know, you can't hold his parents legally liable. But I, I do believe that um, this type of uh, affiliation with racist groups like white supremacists, um, this comes from uh, childhood. It comes from being bullied. It comes from not being taught tolerance um, at the age where it's appropriate to be taught of being tolerant of other races, of other religions, of other ethnicities in school. And and, and here's this kid who's going around Chelsea, um, you know, Antisocial, obviously not not mixing in with with the you know people with the, the normal people, the yeah. population of, you know of his peers, and making blatant racial remarks that his friends are dismissing and saying, ah, it's part of the Southern culture. We never thought he's serious about well, it. Well, even if even if they did take him seriously, what are they going to do? Report him and then what? I mean, there was nothing at the time in just in his, you know, views on segregation and, you know, whatever he believed in there. Nobody took it seriously because. A lot but of people don't even, take each other seriously. He even went ahead to say he's going to be doing something against black people. He was so... Um, but there wasn't anything imminent there. And then we would have all these First Amendment people saying, you can say whatever the heck you right. want. Well, but you know what? His parents are claiming that they had no idea that this is this is his second life. This is his other life. And at least if those friends or those people who dismiss some of these comments, maybe if they had brought it into the attention, brought it to the attention of his parents, maybe there would be some intervention. Maybe somebody would go 
on his laptop and check and see what this guy is really doing. Um, you know, his, his, his parents said, look, we gave him monies for his birthday and I guess he went and bought this .45 caliber Glock. They didn't actually buy him the gun. He went and bought the gun himself. Doesn't matter. Um, poor screening to, to put a gun in the hands of somebody like this. Um, and I think, you know, I just think that he is um, the perfect example of someone who um, uh, whose issues have gone on for a long, long time, unnoticed, untreated. Well, there, and- there had to be a problem. I wonder why he dropped out of school in the tenth grade. Um, I, what what is going on that? Uh, uh, an uncle said that even at the age of 19, even though he had been out of school for years, he had never gotten a job. Like, what, what was he doing this whole time? He seems like, he seems like a derelict. He seems like, you know, the guy that, you know, he's, he's, he's an opiate addict, then he's taking Suboxone, uh, to kick the opiate addiction within, which in and of itself is, is a controlled drug. And, uh, and, you know, and, and he gets fixated on Earl Holt's, um, Website. Right. This is a very interesting thing that I did want to talk. So that's the Council of Conservative Citizens. It's Mm -hmm. a group who, you know, is a known hate group. They don't believe in the mixing of the races. They uh, talk a lot about uh, uh, black crime against white people. Mm -hmm. And that is the group that is said to have sort of inspired Mm -hmm. this. What I thought was really interesting about this group is who they support politically. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the laws that we get come from the legislature, come from the people, you know, people who vote on these politicians mm-hmm. and the, the uh, bills that they propose, we call and say, yes, vote for that or don't vote for that. Or when we show up to the polls or don't, right. and these laws get passed, they're influenced by these people who contribute to the political um, campaigns. And wouldn't and you want to know, yeah. who, wouldn't you want to know, who is it that this Earl Holt is contributing to? Is anybody surprised? Uh it's somewhat sixty thousand dollars in the last year to Republican uh, candidates, uh, specifically. I think since two thousand ten, which is still a lot of money. Yeah, over sixty two thousand uh, dollars. He's given money to Ted Cruz, Rick Santorum, and Rand Paul. Uh, after some pressure, these uh, candidates have. come out and said, oh, actually, we're going to give the money back Mm -hmm. uh, or they're going to donate the same amount of money to one of the charities Mm -hmm. for the victims. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it's it's important to note who these kinds of people like Earl Holt relate to and want to support politically Mm -hmm. and who is going to sit in Congress and represent them. So if you hold the same views Mm -hmm. as uh, Eric Holt, I'm sorry, Earl Holt, mm-hmm. then now you know who to vote for. Mm-hmm. And if you don't share his views, now you know who to oppose. So, uh, to, to some degree, the, the, how, how we, we get here, the laws that we have, the laws that we don't, does come back to us. Yes, Dylan Roof pulled the trigger. He's, you know, an ingrained racist and tragedy of a human being who sucks at life. But we can all take a small piece of, I, I'm not even sure I want to call it responsibility, but we, we do have some role in the laws that get passed and the, the politicians, the gun control, the, you know, this whole thing in, in the way that we vote. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I understand that our, that a lot of people are rightfully angry about what's happened. And I do hope that people turn that anger into some productive action. Mm-hmm. 
Some action that's being taken uh, is uh, perhaps the removal of the Confederate flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that that's going to matter much, or do you think they're going to pull it down? I was Absolutely. even shocked that it was still up. Yeah, and I mean, it grounds. is so shocking because especially for us, uh, you know, in Los Angeles and California on the West Coast and in, in, in any liberal state, I think on the two opposite ends of the, uh, the United States, it's, it's, it's shocking. It's so far from our reality. And I, I so support its removal. I heard that Alabama also ordered its removal from its state capital. And I, and I, and I'm, you know, I think, you know what? They keep saying the supporters of the flag say that it's about heritage, not hate. But find I'm a sorry, new flag. But I'm sorry, <sighs> hate is part of, of that the heritage. heritage. You yeah. cannot separate it. This flag is so tainted by the history of oppression and slavery that you there's no way you can separate it from that. And I think it's frankly insulting for all these African Americans um, who who state fly this flag to the state in this day and age um, to to say, oh, we, this is our southern. heritage heritage. Pull it down, put it in a museum where it belongs yeah. because it's from, you know, once upon a time. And this doesn't mean that, you know, people who are like, oh, we have a First Amendment right to speech. Individuals, if you want to have it, fine. It's still disgusting. But legally, you would still have the right to display it, even if it's not displayed on government buildings. And, and um, one, one other thing I was going to say about Don Roof's website, you know, he, he, he burns the American flag, or I'm sorry, he he did. He, he spit and burned, spit on and burned the American flag, and he held up the Confederate flag. He, you know, his website was called thelastrhodesian.com. Rhodesia was a white-ruled uh, African country. Um, he had patches of the apartheid-era South Africa uh, flag and, and then Rhodesia on his jackets and some of the photos that he was wearing on the website. And, and these are all um, things that, you know, can be used as evidence in his prosecution to show that race was his primary motive. The issue, I think, from an evidentiary perspective that our viewers should be aware of is that, you know, there's authenticity issues. Who did this website belong to? Who was posting these things? This all has to be proven. It's not just as easy as Dylan's photos on this website, slam dunk, that's the evidence. Um, apparently, when the website initially started, was registered, the day after, someone went back and masked the registration information so that it's not visible as to who really registered th- this website, uh, you know, whose name it was registered under. So it'll be interesting to see, um, irrespective of the jurisdiction, that how they're going to prove the um, the race being the primary motive and the animus towards towards black people as a race. I, I, I mean, even if the website didn't exist, I think there's plenty. His own confession when he was arrested, and he said, I wanted to start a race war. The, the stuff that he said that the witnesses are going to testify to inside the, the AME church, I mean, those are all very clear, um, make it clear that race is, is the motive, not just the primary motive, the only motive. Yeah. Can you look at it? Can you find any, any other motive? Not, I, no. Right. Uh, I, I mean, if you want to listen to Fox News, they say it was, you know, it was a, an attack against faith, right. Christianity, right. which, no, no, good try. But I do want to, um, mention the, the victims by name. I think it's very important to acknowledge them uh, um, and uh, and not just be mentioning the shooter's name repeatedly without acknowledging the victims. So I just want to read those names. Uh, they're Sharonda Coleman Singleton, Cynthia Hurd, 
Tywanza Sanders and her aunt Susie Jackson, Myra Thompson, Ethel Lance, Daniel Simmons, DePayne Middleton Doctor, and the uh, the Senator Clementa Pickney, whose eulogy will be delivered by President Obama. The um, funerals um, are, are underway, uh, I believe, beginning tomorrow. Uh, and um, we are with Charleston and the families uh, and friends of these people as they mourn. You know, the, the, um, as horrible as this massacre has been and as, as, um, you know, uh, uh, obviously our, our, our nation is mourning this, this, um, this incident, you know, it, what's hard to believe is that it's it's the year 2015 and this is happening in any part of our country. And what really gives me the goosebumps is the beautiful way that these um, these this community in Charleston uh, immediately after the incident um, essentially said that they forgive Dylan Roof. I mean, well, they're as, kinder than I am because I'm not there yet. I think. I mean, it gives me it gives me goosebumps to even think that uh, you know uh, people could could you know th- this was this is a place where they sought solace and prayer and peace. Um, it, it, it is far worse than going to someone's even house or yeah. or a supermarket or, or a movie theater, and and it's just for these people to immediately turn around and say that they forgive him is tremendous to me. I can't even imagine it. But we want to hear from you, so please tweet us at Azari Law at. Chelsea Galicia, you know, what do you think about the Confederate flag? Do you agree with our views or do you think that it should remain up as Southern heritage? Um, do you, what do you think that the, the donations to the Republican Party, is that going to tarnish and, um, harm the candidates that are going to run for the 2016 presidential election. You know, what do you think what should happen to Dylan Roof? Did he, should he get the death penalty as he's exposed to under both federal and state laws? Um, and, and you know, lastly, but a huge issue we'd love to hear from you on is um, how do you stop bullying? How do you stop, you know, how do you teach tolerance and how do Did you... We, I, I haven't heard anything about bullying. Do we know for sure? It doesn't it, matter. It, it is clear that uh, almost, someone who ends up in this type of um, in this type of situation could not possibly have come from a setting where he has normal relationships and 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 uh, development and so to me uh, I think you know it goes hand in hand with hatred and this this built-up resentment and it would be interesting to hear from our viewers as to what how they think we should address hatred where does it start how do we nip it in the butt so to speak so please tweet us and please let us know um your your perspective on this we'd love to hear definitely okay uh i think we shall uh move on to our docket stories. All right. On the docket today, we're going to start off with the um, the case uh, of the, the recent indictment that came down by the Department of Justice against over 240 doctors, nurses, and patient recruiters, who I call cappers, um, in 17 different districts across the country. This is as a result of the Affordable Care Act, which essentially um, allows uh, $350 million. It gives $350 million to the Department of Justice to hire new prosecutors, to expand the Medicare Fraud Task Force, to uh, um, uh, screen doctors when they're applying to be Medicare providers, Better, so it, it really puts a lot of money into Medicare fraud, and this is the largest Medicare fraud bust ever by the DOJ, seven hundred and twelve million dollars. And essentially, the conduct is this, Chelsea, that they, um, the patient recruiters, 
the cappers, some of whom have been my clients before, will go into the soup kitchens and the homeless shelters and they will ask these poor people, hey, if I give you like 10 bucks, 20, it's, it's, it's a really nominal amount. Um, will you give me your Medicare ID number? They buy the Medicare information. They then bill Medicare to the tune of sorry, $12 million um, for services not rendered or services that were rendered but not necessary, not medically necessary. And so then what happens is um, eventually this gets, you know, the DOJ uh, investigates this and, and files a conspiracy charge like they have against all of these people. So they're charged with conspiracy to commit health care fraud. They're charged with money laundering because obviously the money that they're getting from Medicare is coming from an illegal activity and they're then putting it into a legitimate business so it's money laundering i think they're also being charged with the anti-kickback statutes violating those because kickbacks are illegal and aggravated identity theft so the defendants are doctors nurses um uh, and other administrators who have you know participated in this fraud on medicare so you know one of the questions uh, that came to mind which um you know clients actually bring up um is is but it's the it's insurance it's the government it's yeah. it's it's a deep pocket it's why why are we going to go away for so many years they see a difference between going into a bank and robbing a bank that kind of theft versus committing a fraud on the government they, well we do too we we hold the you know armed robbers to a much higher uh degree of culpability than we do with these people. If we look at the statistics on how long armed robbers spend in jail, if they mm-hmm. only steal you know, a couple thousand dollars versus people who, who take millions of dollars, mm-hmm. if they go to jail at all, mm-hmm. it's very you know, two, three, four years. Because it's white collar. Right. right. So we as a country need to be more uh, shocked and disgusted by this kind of, of fraud, fraud mm-hmm. before we, uh, as a country take it more seriously. Uh, and, and I think that that's the mentality of a lot of people is that when you reach into the pocket of a, of a, like a headless, you know, monster, you mm-hmm. don't care. I mean, it's an endless amount of money. And I think that, uh, you know, there are some doctors who are just plain greedy, but then I, I think there are others who are very frustrated mm-hmm. with the process that they have to go through with insurance or Medicare and not getting paid or getting yes, two cents on the so dollar. So much paperwork that goes in. They have such a hard time getting reimbursed. Mm-hmm. They have such a t- hard time getting a treatment authorized that they request that at some point they're like, well, forget it. I'll just take it where I can mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also think that this, um, you know, it, it, it sucks if you if you see what doctors have to go through to become doctors. You you can kind of understand that they're in a really kind of crappy predicament mm-hmm. these days. They go through years and years of training, including years of of working. Crazy, insane hours Mm -hmm. getting, if you break it down, less than minimum wage. By the time they're able to make money, they're so starved and hungry that they're going through these rather... wrong places to get them but they're you know they're they're you know desperate and they're desperate to live the the big life that they see mm-hmm. that you know doctors around them are, are are living so there's a bit about keeping up with the the i think it's a Joneses? facade oh. that you see other people mm-hmm. um living up to that they are, are are trying to keep up with uh and it's also it, it's kind of easy mm-hmm. i think you know even I, you know, I feel bad because I know that in this group of 250 some odd people that were arrested, there were people that didn't know what was going on, that they would 
make their notes or chart of whatever that they build for. And then somewhere in the billing mm-hmm. system, things get changed mm-hmm. and the services that they render get charged or billed as something different. Mm-hmm. And that's coming from the top down. That's coming right. from the owners of these clinics, mm-hmm. hospitals. The doctors down to the administrators. Right. Yeah. And there are a bunch of people in the middle who mm-hmm. are probably getting sucked into this. I mm-hmm. saw that like occupational therapists, mm-hmm. physical therapists. I And in the way that I have seen medical offices run, I don't think that the occupational therapists are performing the services and then doing the billing themselves. Somebody else is doing it. And even those billers, they're just doing their job trying to not get fired. And Mm -hmm. so they're billing according to the way that they're being told to bill. Or the doctors referring the patient to the therapist saying he needs X, Y, and Z. The occupational therapist takes the doctor's order and does X, Y, and Z. However, the patient doesn't need that medical service. So that's, you know, but one of the things... um, uh, you know, with this, with this issue of healthcare fraud is that it, it hurts all of us because it raises the cost of healthcare. It wastes taxpayer dollars and it, 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 it jeopardizes the Medicare program and the beneficiaries of the Medicare program. So that's why the government takes us so seriously. And even though um, you touched on... They should take it more on, seriously. It's very serious, actually. And there's actually a lot of time associated with this type of fraud under federal laws because the sentencing guidelines... Um, uh, are, are according to the loss amount in a case, so in this case, $712 million. However, this Affordable Care Act, what it did was it made the law more worse for, for those who are uh, convicted of it. In other words, before um, the sentencing guidelines were drafted, where the loss amount would be based on what amount these doctors get paid for Medicare, which, as we know, it's not the full amount that they bill. Now, under the Affordable Care Act and the laws promulgated and the sentencing guidelines, the the liability is based on the amount billed, which is far greater than what they actually end up making. And I think one of the things like I've been able to do for clients that are lower than the the, the main um, um, defendant, um, the culprit, uh, is that, you know, if you can negotiate with the government, sometimes you have to give things to get things, but um, if you negotiate with the government early enough and save them the resources of indicting your client, etc., you may be able to negotiate a minimal role for your client in the offense, and as such, lower the liability to the amount that they had something to do with per the evidence, as opposed to the entire $712 million. Because technically, all of these 243 people are um, liable under the law for $712 million. So some of these lawyers obviously are going to try to limit their client's liability based on their role in the in the hierarchy of this conspiracy. The other thing I was going to also say is that um, I believe there were eight individuals in the Los Angeles area since we're in LA. There was $66 million of the $712 million was associated with their, um, I believe there were a thousand wheelchairs that were ordered that were not, uh, necessary medically. So, um, what I would really like to know is what are they going to do to get this money? back from they the, will pe- not. the doctors. Uh, the restitution that, is hardly ever that paid. That is the part that is the most frustrating in all of this. And I'll tell you something, Chelsea. If if any of these defendants had $712 million to pay this case off, I mean, because restitution is joint or several, so the government doesn't care, the court doesn't care, if all of them pitch in equally, if one person pays the entire amount, it doesn't matter. If anyone or any one of these people pays this amount off, that will give them a huge break at sentencing because money talks in these money cases. But the problem is, is nobody has this kind of money saved up. It's blown away. I guarantee it. 
Anyway, yeah, we would like to so hear from you. So tweet us your comments at Azari Law at Chelsea Galicia. Let and us I, know what you think. And I do want to just say that when I was saying earlier the reasons why these doctors do it or what might be uh, in their thought processes they're doing is in no way a defense to what they do. It's only an explanation as to perhaps what they were thinking. But even the pressure that they were under, yeah. etc. It's um, no excuse, but, you know, but that's just a. But that's why most of my my doc I have insurance, but most of my doctors don't take insurance because they're just not paid to be to be able to do that. So let us know what you think. Tweet us and tell us what you think of um, fraud or white collar offenses. Should they be? treat it the same way in terms of penalties as um, some of the other offenses that yeah. we see in the system. Can you imagine if this had been a welfare or workers' comp fraud? This would have been, we would have heard about this everywhere, but you you don't, right? Or I'd love to hear if you think that this was treated differently. Well, I'm actually than not it. comparing it to, I'm, I'm comparing fraud to blue collar crimes. So bank robbery would be a violent uh, way to take money versus you know, um, fraud, which is white collar, whether it's welfare or healthcare or whatever it is. Somehow, I think a lot of us think that um, if you're taking money in a sophisticated way that is white collar, that there's leniency involved as opposed to holding a gun and taking someone's purse. You know, yeah. there is that sort of perception. And I think that the difference here is not just that is is what whether we're talking about doctors committing fraud or we're talking about uh, low income people right committing fraud right. in like workers comp or welfare fraud if that was 700 mm-hmm. oh my gosh we would have i would be out of a job right because everybody I, I would case, hate workers comp i mean so i was in case today for $4000 welfare fraud i mean it's so petty but yeah. um all right moving on to our next case um uh, news has broken out that google has finally jumped on the bandwagon and banned revenge porn. Several months ago, we talked to our viewers about revenge porn, which is essentially the posting of naked photographs by your scorned lover or your ex-boyfriend on the internet um, against your consent. And in California, when we spoke about this case, uh, or this topic, I should say, it was when the first case was prosecuted and convicted by the city attorney's office in Los Angeles under the California law. It was the first time the California law was being essentially enforced in this area. And under our law, um, revenge porn is limited to photographs that are actually taken by the poster, by the person posting them. Um, in several states, however, it doesn't matter who has taken the photos. It could be the photos that the victim has taken and, and you know, the selfie, naked selfies passed on to the person that posts them. It could be hackers of third-party websites who make money off these naked photos. Um, nonetheless, it's revenge porn. It is humiliating. Um, it is hard to to know whether there is a photo of you floating out there, um, which is something I want to talk to Chelsea about. But Google's sort of, um, even though it's it's one of the, you know, it's the biggest uh, search engine out there, was not too quick to uh, come up with this policy. Reddit, Twitter, and Facebook all banned um, revenge porn in March. And now what Google's done is essentially implemented this policy where if I'm a victim of revenge porn, I can fill out a simple form asking Google to take down my photos. It's not going to ban the uh, the revenge sites. porn websites that anyone can search and go to. It's simply going to remove the photos by a very supposedly easy process. Now, questions I have for you, Chelsea, is how do they verify this? I mean, how do they know that the person supplying for the, the photos to be removed is actually the person who's the victim? 
I mean, is there a verification process? I am. It's almost like, you know, who cares? Remove it first, ask questions later. I don't see the harm in taking it down first and then right. finding out. What's the value of those photographs right. versus, no. okay. And will it alleviate some of the resources that the states and, and the feds are spending on prosecuting this under the laws? I mean, I, I, I hope so. I know that, you know, sites like Google are not in the business of making money off of revenge porn, but a lot of people who whose sites are found from that do um, make money from this. So the the internet has to in some way police itself. Once the, the internet, Google and all, are making a ton of money. And so they they're, should be responsible for um, keeping, you know, the revenge porn or any unlawful activity off of their, their sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, you know, People are like, well, it's not Google's fault, but you know, there's got to be some responsibility. When you're making that much money from people on your website, you've got to keep the bad apples off. I mean, the the, the kind of damages to people are so horrendous that uh, they should want to to right. help people. I mean, because I used but to I think, think it was part of the reason why Google's doing this. It's sort of that the, the tech industry is responding to this issue of revenge porn, and they're trying to, I think, partly do the responsible thing and also i think it's a, it's i think it's a way to perhaps nip it in the bud um before a, a, a criminal complaint is filed against the poster right because if those images are gone then you know it's 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 unlikely that the city attorney's office for instance is going to go back and look at once upon a time when they committed the crime and prosecute them um the other thing too the other issue that this raises is um <laughs> if you and i were that dumb to take a naked selfie and send it to somebody and and now it's somewhere on this massive world of the internet, right? How do you know it's out there? That's what's so scary to me about this. Well, and at first I thought that this was all about ladies, stop taking those, you know, naked selfies and stop sexting and that this was all a personal responsibility thing. There is still some personal responsibility in it. But what I'm finding now is that there are lots of videos taken of women having sex without their knowledge. And these images and videos are being Mm-hmm. shared on the internet. So it's women don't even know that these that they were tapes. Right. Yeah. So so they're 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 more so victims than I before had had considered. About, yeah. But you know the interesting question I think for our viewers um we'd love to hear from you by tweeting us at Azari Law at Chelsea Galicia I think is in the situation where it is consented to. So what 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 we would want to know from you is is if if a person in fact consented and sent the photo themselves the naked photo to somebody and is later posted on the internet is that somehow a blanket consent that at any time even after the relationship's over that the person should be able to use as he pleases because now it's his property um and and the victim is consented to i mean do you think of it as a blanket consent or do you agree with the prosecution of um people who put up revenge porn on the internet. Please tweet us and let us know what you think. All right, moving on to our last and greatest story of this week is the arrest of P. Diddy Puff Daddy Sean Combs. Um, he has lots of uh, pseudonyms. So he was at UCLA apparently on Monday watching his son Justin Combs's football game. He has the reputation of being a helicopter dad at UCLA. He hovers over all the practices. He thinks that his son needs to get preferential treatment. Apparently Snoop Dogg's son is also on that team, but um, Snoop hasn't been arrested for anything yet at, at um, UCLA. So, you know, what P. Diddy did um, was allegedly um, uh, 
get into an argument, an altercation with the assistant coach, a football coach who was screaming at all of the the punk kids on the uh, on the football team, and he then um, he got in his face with a kettlebell. Uh, I mean, talk about a deadly weapon. So he is he was initially charged with assault with a deadly weapon, and the charges then. They got got um, got uh, piled, on. piled onto him. So now he's charged with three assault with deadly weapon charges. He's charged with terrorist threats, which is Penal Code four twenty two. It's criminal threats, really. You don't have to be committing terrorism. Um, and, and which also, is so funny in light of our very first story about what gets called a terrorist right. threat. But under California law, it's criminal threats and also battery. These are all felonies. And in fact, assault with a deadly weapon and uh, and terrorist threats are strike offenses under the three strike laws. So they're extremely serious felonies. They're considered serious and violent felonies. So he bonded out $50,000. We're not sure when his arraignment is, but he's going to be seen in court. Um, And I think the the issue here, uh, Chelsea, is one of his reps um, has come out and said, you know, all of this is fine and dandy that they're making these allegations, but he acted in self-defense and defense of his son. And I have to say, duh, that's what most people would mount as a self-defense defense. So what are your thoughts about this um, event. I mean, what, well, what do you think? It's it's clearly not self defense because he did. I don't even know what to call him anymore. Went to the the um, the guy Salalosi's mm-hmm. office, requested to speak to him. Mm-hmm. Then that's where he got it. And so there wasn't any da- immediate danger to his son. His son was being yelled at, told. I guess. The coach thought he was being lazy. Don't come back, mm-hmm. you know, this whole summer. So this was not, you know, in defense of his son's life and he wasn't right. defending himself. In defending yourself with a kettlebell, you're going to hold, hold it up. There's no, it's not a shield. Uh, clearly to be used, it had to be swung. And if you look at, um, apparently the evidence is that the coach is the one who had like a short, torn shirt mm-hmm. and scratches and things like mm-hmm. that. So I think that is not going to fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's I, not going to fly? The self-defense. Right. His son was a witness, by the way. They both went into the coach's office. But, you know, son's obviously a biased witness. But if I, if I could just say a few things about um, the, the charges that he's facing, I think a lot of people are sort of dismissing the charges based on this report that no serious injuries were sustained. Um, and I think our viewers need to understand what it means to be charged with assault with a deadly weapon in California and terrorist threats. It does not require a touching, let alone any injuries. For you to be convicted of assault with a deadly weapon, the prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, doubt that you intended to cause great harm to another person, the person perceived that harm to be occurring, and that you were you had the present capability of striking that person, and that's enough. So it's not that hard. Getting, get, yeah, getting close with a kettlebell of you know at least five or ten pounds to a coach um, in that close proximity. It's different, like if you were on the phone or you know you weren't so close twenty to the person. feet away. Yeah, yeah but when you're but right in, in their office, face with a kettlebell, I think it's not difficult to get him on assault with a deadly weapon. Now there's three of those charges, which you know I, I, I it, it indicates that either there's three victims, which I don't think there were. Or there were three, three separate swings. incidents or three swings. And then the terrorist threats. The terrorist threats require that the prosecution prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you intent, that you made a threat, um, that you're going to harm another person, that you intended to put them in fear and that they were in reasonable fear that that threat would be acted out. You don't even have to intend to actually 
act out the 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 threat. It just it just um, the intent to instill the threat in the other person is sufficient. So these are very serious charges, irrespective of the fact that no you know uh, uh, serious injury was sustained. If there was, he would be in yet even a worse position. And the other thing I want to say about this is that you know to mount a self defense defense, he has to testify, and he's going to testify and be exposed to his very colorful past where he's committed other assaults with some very hilarious objects. So in 1999... Hilarious objects. There were three... There, I call it the trilogy, the 1999 trilogy of crimes by PDD. Um, he went to the, the... The famous one was the one at the nightclub at Times Square with J-Lo at that time. I think that was the last time she dated him. Um, they went to this nightclub and uh, he spilled a drink, bumped into a man and he spilled the, the drink on him and the man, instead of being gracious and walking off, to maybe taking a selfie with him and walking off, um, decided to taunt him. A big mistake because the, apparently there was a shooting. Um, he ended up getting acquitted of it, but he went down on bribery and uh, um, I think it was um, gun possession charges. Then same year, again, he got into it with a, a, a music executive um, and um, was convicted of second-degree harassment, but he attacked him with a chair, a champagne bottle, and later the guy's desk. He essentially threw the desk at this guy. Um, and then to top it off, uh, radio host Roger Mills said that he was roughed up by this by by Combs's um uh bodyguards or whatnot. So, um, and in 2011, he threw ice cubes at fans in his audience. 2014, most recently, had a beef with Drake because he thought that Drake had stolen tracks from him or something like that. Um, and, and he's known as the helicopter dad at UCLA who's constantly hovering over these games and protective of his son. And none of this is going to look good for him when he gets up to testify that he acted in self-defense because you're trying to say as a defense lawyer, my client is peaceful. Meanwhile, my client has a, a record, you know, a rap sheet better than his rap skills, essentially, for for um, for violence. So it's difficult. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that this isn't going to go anywhere. I've started to hear rumblings that UCLA is going to drop the charges uh, and, and make sure that he stays away. I don't think that UCLA wants this kind of publicity or beef with a big you know, hip hop, um, a mogul. So, uh, I, I don't, I don't think that he will ever be sitting in the witness stand. Um, but I, but here's the thing. Um, it, it, the, the, the ones who call the police, UCLA, Mr. Smith, whoever the victim is, 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 is just a witness. They don't have the power to dismiss the case or not prosecute the case. They can express their desire that they don't want to prosecute. But I think when it comes to celebrity like this and violent acts, I think that the district attorney's office absolutely wants to make an example. We've seen it happen again and again. Um, we saw it with Chris Brown. We saw it with, you know, different people. So my bottom line take on what happened, just given the charges, is that I think he got into verbal argument and he was holding this kettlebell as he was making these threats, etc. And um, Why was he just holding a kettlebell? I don't know. I mean, he probably was because he was threatening the guy. So he was trying <laughs> okay, to say, so he wasn't hey. just holding. Yeah, him. but but he, as he was uttering the threats, he was holding the kettlebell, which made it then into an assault. Um, and I and, and you know I, I think that um, it's going to be a difficult case. I, he's I heard that maybe Mark Garagos might be representing him, so I hope that I see him in my office because I share office with Mark Garagos. But um, and I will take a selfie <laughs> just for the show. Um, so you know, and, and also Chelsea, the, the other issue with this is is. Even if the coach, 
you know, even if even if the coach was the first aggressor, making uh, Sean Combs act in self-defense. Let's just say for the purpose of argument. The question is, is a kettlebell reasonable force? It's a deadly weapon for yeah. real, you know? You hit somebody in the head with that and they're They'll, out. They're dead. And, uh, you know, a deadly force can be a car. It can be a bat. It can be a shoe. It can be a boot. It can be very simple things that you use in your daily life. But a kettlebell of, of that weight and that, you know, cast iron, um, that guy would have been dead. And I think, you know, Okay, what did he what did he have in his hand that that allows combs or make justifies combs to use a kettlebell? So we want to hear from our viewers. Um, uh, please tweet Chelsea at Chelsea Galicia or me at Azari Law and tell us what you think about this incident. Do you think that he is going to be ultimately convicted of this uh, or maybe even plead to it prior to going to trial? And do you think that this is? Um, this is really in self-defense, or do you think this is more, uh, you know, what they're going through the motions of, of at least coming up with a reason why he would act so inappropriately, <laughs> so not cool, Dad. Anyway, um, please stay with us um, for the next few weeks. I'm going to be out of town on a much-needed vacation. Chelsea's going to hold down the fort with guests and lots of great stories, new stories for you. Um, and I look forward to seeing you when I get back. I think we have an announcement. Yes, before we go, we have to tell you about something very cool and exciting. Uh, you can now apply to be a part of Dance Battle America, which is ABC's newest competition special. Uh, it's from our very own after Buzz founder and e-host Maria Menunos and Julianne Huff from Dancing with the Stars, they come together to create Dance Battle America. Uh, so over the last couple holiday seasons, I'm not sure if you've seen, I know I've participated in some, Ju- Julianne and Maria have engaged in some fearsome dance battles via social media. Uh, so Some celebrities have joined in. Families from across America have joined in. And so now the ladies are challenging all of us to uh, to a dance battle. So you have a chance to show, uh, to come out to L.A. and compete on the show. You don't have to be a professional. don't have to be like Julianne Huff. You just have to have some fun, create a video, um, and uh, go to Dance Battle America casting.com again dance battle america casting.com for information on how to submit your video and be f- uh, a part of this uh fun dancing Sounds party you know it's, we, it's good to let off some steam after such serious heavy material that we covered here thank you right. everyone for joining us so th- and thanks chelsea for covering the next few weeks and i will see everyone when i get back and please join us right here next week on justice is served bye-bye from producers Maria Menunos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.